As a church, about a year ago, our leadership said we want to be about one phrase that helps guide us. And that phrase is we want to be gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. We want to be gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. So we want to gather. We need relationships. We need to get together regularly to be able to focus on God. We want to do that. But we aren't just gathering for our own sakes. We aren't just gathering so that we can have a nice time and meet our needs and all that. We are gathering with a purpose, and that purpose is Jesus said, go. Go into all the world. Go to people who are hurting. Go to people who don't know me. Go. You are the ones I want you to go. So we're gathering to go. But if all we do is gather in our own ideas, our own uh, efforts, and then we just go and be the best people we can be, if we just do it all in our own strength, we will not get results that we want because the results that we want are things that only God could do. Only God can save lives. Only God can bring deep healing. Only God has the word to sustain the weary. We need his presence. And the good news is Jesus promises to go with us. When he said go, he also said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He said, wait for me in Jerusalem. Wait, and when I clothe you with, when the spirit comes on you, you will be clothed with power from on high. His spirit, his presence, his personal, powerful presence can go with us. And so one of the questions is, how do we have more of his presence in our life? How do we get more of awareness of who he is and what he's saying to us? How is it that when we, we go to be with people and we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do, how can we come to trust that he'll be in us? That even when we say the wrong thing, somehow he'll be making it right. How does that happen? And I think one of the ways that a group of people can experience more of his presence and then can carry more of his presence is when the level of the group of people's worship and prayer goes up. The more worship and prayer among a people, usually the more his presence is at work. There are things in church history that show this. And so what I would like what our leadership has said recently, we are going to focus on moving into fall is building a house of worship and prayer. How can we make this a place where there is worship and prayer happening seven days a week? So in Psalm 27, verse 4, the psalmist says, One thing I ask, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty, to seek his face. One thing I ask that I can do this. That's what the psalmist says. And what I'd like us to think about is one thing that I would ask is that somebody from our community would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our existence. That there'd be at least somebody, even on a Saturday, even on a holiday, that would say, I will show up on behalf of the community to praise his name because he's worth it and because we want more of his presence in our life, in our gatherings and in our going. And so for the fall, we are going to focus a lot on prayer. And we're going to invite you to consider being, if this is your church and you're part of this church, consider being a prayer builder. And a prayer builder will commit to praying on site two hours a month. Sounds like a lot, maybe. Two hours, oh, it says a week. That is a lot. 
I'll do that, but I'm not asking anybody else to. Two hours a month, that's my typo. Two hours a month, so like a half hour a week. It's like showing up at Upper Room a couple times a month. Maybe, maybe your family is going to say, well, I don't know if we could do it, but our family will cover it. Or I'll find a friend and we'll be prayer partners and we'll at least cover two hours a week. The goal to start is not, let's get through, let's make sure we have all the days covered. We're going to work on that in 2023. For now, I just want us to say, who wants to be part of increasing the level of prayer and worship at our church? Amen. For a few months, just increasing it for a few months, we're going to try it just for the fall to say, will you do this? So in a week and a half on a Wednesday night, we're going to have a prayer builders launch. And in that launch, we'll explain different ways that you come to pray. People pray differently. Like there's a way you could just come in here and prayer walk or prayer, the, prayer walk the, the grounds. Or there's a prayer room that you can sign up for and have. And if that's busy, there's other rooms in this space where you can do it. Or there's upper room. There's different ways. Maybe a group of people say, we want to do this once a month. We just want to get together for a half hour and pray. And that's one of the ways. Maybe on Sunday mornings, we meet at 8.30, we say a prayer, the team that's leading, and then they start practicing worshiping, and there's people, there are people who do this. They come in and they just pray for, for all of you, for all who's going to be here. You can just show up at 8.45 or 9 or 9.15 or something and just pray in here while the worship's going on. Just worship. Now, some of you are thinking like, I can't imagine praying for that long. I don't even know what that looks like. And that's fine. I would still encourage you to come to Prayer Builders Launch because then you would find out what it would look like. Also, what I'd like to say is we're going to, our, our groups and our classes are going to focus on like how to pray. What are some ways to pray? How can you do it? Here's what I've heard over the years from people. Sometimes we've had different gatherings in here where we just pipe in music and then we, we get together or people that go to the prayer room, they will say like, man, that went by fast. I didn't know I was going to do it. Or I needed this. I didn't even know. It's just showing up is part of the deal. But now this is not all that our church is going to be about. We need, we need all sorts of ways that we're gathering for the sake of community, for the sake of growing. We need all sorts of ways that we're going and encouraging each other that go and how we're going. We need that. But this is a way that we build up in all of our gathering and in all of our going, there is more of his presence. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. So that's why we're going to try that. So, more info to come as we're working out. We want to make, we, one of our goals is to make the building just more accessible. And, we, and that's in two ways. One is so people can pray. Their hours you know, don't necessarily match when we're open. We'll make it more accessible. The other is just more accessible in the sense of like, you want to come have lunch here with people? Sure, come. Come during the week. You just need to stop by. You just need a quiet space? Sure, come. Just we want this to be more accessible, a place where we're gathering. Gathering for the purpose of prayer and gathering for the purpose of being with each other. That's where we're going. Now I want to get into our little sermon series we're doing a few weeks on Exodus. And it's what is God doing in this? And this particular passage is recognized, especially in the Jewish world, and the, the people that really celebrate, the rabbis that celebrate the Old Testament. This is a super big deal passage to them. It's also a super confusing passage. What is God doing in this? It is confusing. In fact, the scholars kind of debate. It's clear the people are being tested. There is a time of decision happening. That is clear, but did they pass the test or not? There's a disagreement over that. And so when you and I come and read this just in our normal Bibles, it's sort of like, I don't know what's going on here. 
So I've been spending a lot of time in it, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my opinion of why they, pa- why they passed the test and why. I could spend a long, long time explaining why, but I'm going to spare you all that nerdy detail. And I'm just going to say this. Even if I'm wrong, even if it's the other way people interpret this, the point that I'm going to make out of this is absolutely a point that you can draw from the New Testament after Jesus has come. So the point applies either way. It could be like an illustration. I tend to think that this is how the passage should be understood. Um, that's all I'm going to say because I've got to keep, keep moving. So last week we looked at the Israelites who had been slaves for hundreds of years. So these are people whose grandparents were slaves, whose great-grandparents were slaves, all their friends, all their family, all they knew were slaves. And now all of a sudden they've been set free, but an army comes from Egypt to take them back and God wipes it out. So they have made their way through the desert at this point. They've had to figure out, well, what about no water? And calling God, what about no food? Calling God, what about no water again as they moved on? What about this army that attacked us? What about trying to figure out how we settle disputes? We've never had to govern ourselves. We've always had other people doing that. How do we, how do we figure out what leadership looks like? All of that has transpired, and now they make it to Mount Sinai, this big mountain. And when they get to this point, this is where we're picking up the story. And I'm going to really let us just he- hear the whole, whole passage here and then explain a little bit. So verse 3 of chapter 19, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, uh, God starts with a reminder. I want you to remind the people, I have rescued them. I have done it tenderly. I have brought them into freedom. That's part of the good news of this, is that I've rescued you. Now, that I've rescued you, if you will come to agree with my covenant, agree with my promise, come to my agreement, and if you will fully obey, literal translation is if you will listen, listen. Shema, shema. If you will listen, listen, because the word for listen and obey in Hebrew is the same. Shema means to obey. Shema means to listen. So this is the audio disco for those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Those of you who weren't, you missed out on the dance party. But this is like fully take it in, you pay attention, and then you do it. If you will listen, listen, if you will listen and obey, then you will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. Priests are people that bring God to others and bring others to God. They're, they go in between. And you're going to be that for the, all of you, for the other nations, for the rest of the world. That's what you're going to be. So he says all that. A holy nation set apart for this purpose. If you will listen, listen. Now, just quickly, I want to look at a New Testament passage written to those of us who believe in Jesus. Who say, Jesus is my Savior, Lord. I am following him. This is what he says. This is what is said to them. 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you hear the same things? It's in a little bit different order, but a chosen people. Out of all the earth, I'm picking you. A, a royal priesthood. You're a kingdom of priests, I just read. A holy nation, that's literally the same words. God's special possession, you will be my treasured possession. You see what God is saying to the people back then, even though we're not that ethnic group and that's a long time ago, he's saying to those of us now. This story applies to us. What does God say to a group of people that are his people? If you will listen, listen. If you will audio disco, Jesus says the same thing. So, now, back to the story with Moses. So God tells Moses to tell that to the people. Verse 7, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. They said, yes. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. So if people that are paying attention in Genesis and reading Genesis over and over again will notice that the third day comes up in different stories. Abraham and Isaac, Jacob a couple times, Joseph and his brothers, and the third day is always an important day in those stories. It is a day of decision. The third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn or the trumpet sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. Now here is the point in the story where the disagreements come. Most of our English translations say, come to the mountain or approach the mountain. The NRSV says, come on the mountain. So there is a way in which, literally in Hebrew, it, it says, come on to the mountain, but most translations have said what means come up to the mountain. And anyway, I'm going to go with, I'm not going to explain all why, but I'm going to go with come on to the mountain. So nobody come near the mountain, nobody come on to the mountain until you hear the trumpet. When you hear the trumpet, then come on to the mountain. Okay, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, by the way, this story is slowing way down. Like if it was a movie, it's like it's going almost into slow motion. Because it says, God came down, thunder and lightning, and the trumpet blasts, and then all of a sudden, verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord came down. It's going to keep repeating, the Lord came down. The Lord came down. It is slowing things down. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now a third time, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai, called to Moses to the top of the mountain, 
So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. And then he goes on to say, Make sure the people don't come on the mountain. And this is why that earlier translation, they usually trans just come up to the mountain, because they get confused about both. But... What happens next is after he said, okay, Moses, you can come up here. Go tell them they can't come up. You can bring a few with me, but make sure nobody comes on the mountain now. Nobody can come on the mountain. Then the voice of God speaks, and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any images of God's goes through all this, you know, murder, adultery. He just goes through the 10 things. The voice comes down and speaks those things. And then in chapter 20, verse 18, it seems like when I'm reading this normally, that it's just, okay, so God spoke the 10 commandments and then this next thing happens. But what is really clear to me now, and I'm not going to explain why, is this is actually a flashback. This is what happened when, the came, when God came down before God said, don't have them come onto the mountain. So in this flashback, it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So in the end, the people stayed at a distance when the trumpet blew and it was time to go up. And Moses went and got close to God. So just, just to help us, I'm going to go through the story one more time. But let's do it, let's do it like this. The people, the whole nation, this is hundreds of thousands of people. And Moses is walking with them, and they walk up to Mount Sinai. There it is. And Moses then, he goes up. He's got to go to the mountain. That's going to take a lot longer than it's taken me to make these steps up. But just to illustrate, because when I read this story, it feels like, well, and God said to Moses, and Moses like, okay, yeah, oh, hey, people this, and, you know, and it's happening that quickly. He's going all the way up the mountain to talk to God. And God says, I carried you like wings of eagles. If you will listen, listen to me, and you want to come into agreement with me, you will be my treasured possession. You will be a, a kingdom of priests. You go tell the people this, that they will be a holy nation unto me. And so Moses, he got to go back down the mountain. He's got to go tell the people. So he goes all the way down the people. And he says, hey, you know, he repeats all the things. Remember, if you will listen, listen. And what do they say? We will listen, listen. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses has to go back up now and tell God. This is the story. I mean, this is what the Bible says. He's got to go all the way up the mountain. You know, to go get close to God, to be a priest, you have to go. And it takes effort. And it takes time. And it takes energy to be able to just focus on God and talk to God. And God says, okay, they said that. Well, here's the deal. you got to get ready for three days because I'm going to come down. And when the trumpet blasts, don't let anybody get close, but when the trumpet sounds, then come up on the mountain. And so when you're a priest, you don't just live in la-la land with God. You gotta, there's stuff to do. you got to come back down. you got to be with people. you got to actually be with them. You can't just be some holy, well, I'm with God all the time, la-la-la-la. No, it's both. 
It takes work. It takes energy. So he comes back and he says, okay, here's the thing. Let's get ready, you know, abstain, wash your clothes. I don't know how to get all that. But okay, do all that. Because when the trumpet sounds, we're going up. And then the third day, day of decision, God comes. And he comes down and there is thunder and lightning and a cloud. There is fire. There is smoke. There is an earthquake. There is shaking. And the trumpet sounds. What are they supposed to do when the trumpet sounds? They get to go up on the mountain. They get to go meet with God. They get to close. So Moses starts moving them that way because the trumpet sounds. And, then, and it gets louder. And it gets louder. And Moses is heading up and it gets louder. And the flashback says, they say, no, no, you go. Moses, you go. We're, we're going to stay here. You go talk to him. Moses is like, no, 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 come on. Don't be afraid. This is just so you figure out. And they say, no, no, Moses, you go. I get here early so I can sit in the back row. <laughs> you, you go up. You take care of it. You take care of it. And the people stay. They stay at a distance. They, they say, remember, we will listen, listen to everything he, did, he says. And then they say, you listen. You talk to him. So Moses goes. He goes where no man's gone before. He goes where he doesn't. He, he goes into the dark. Later on, when he goes all the way up, he's going to pass through fire. He's going all the way up, but he is getting close to God. And for those of us who just are like, well, of course, Moses, he's like the famous guy in the Bible, of course. Well, he did kill somebody. He did have a really boring life for years. He did make a lot of mistakes. He did think God was going to show up in big ways, and God didn't show up. He, did, he was filled with doubt, and God said, you can do it, and then he went and do it, and then it, it didn't work the first time. He's a guy just like us. And he made mistakes after he went up the mountain, too. But here's the deal. At the, at the end of the day, Moses went and got close to God. And the people stayed at a distance. And the stories that follow are the people do exactly the opposite of what God said. They said, we will listen, listen, we will do everything you said. And God said, well, let me tell you from the clouds, let my voice thunder and say, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make anything into an image. And while Moses is up on the mountain, they make a golden calf. And they say, this is the God that got us out of Egypt. And they say, tomorrow we're going to worship the Lord. They still think they're worshiping the same God. They're confused. And then all blankety-blank breaks loose. They're out of control. The Bible says they become a laughingstock to the people around them. They start unraveling as a group of people while Moses is up. That's what happens the further the distance is from God. Contrast that with Moses who spent all this time with God and he comes down and if it weren't for him, the Bible is very clear and we'll look at it next week, the people would have been wiped out. They would have been destroyed. The second time Moses comes down, his face is glowing. He's been in the presence of God. He's gotten close to God. So here's the question. 
Do you want to be close to God? Do you want to be close to God? If you want to be close to God, what are you doing to be close to God? In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Let us get close to him to his presence with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Getting close to God looked scary. Look, I don't even know. It's dark. It's thick darkness. What am I walking into? It's fire. The people are saying, we'll die if we go there. And what Moses finds on the other side is that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. But he found that out after he got close. It's not just that we have this casual relationship with God. Oh, he doesn't think anything's a big deal. He's not a big deal. You know, he's good with us all the time. No, he's a big deal. You don't just casually go up to the God of the universe and just whoop, except that Jesus has made a way by going in between so we can go with confidence because he will forgive and he loves and he's merciful. But the question is, do you want that? Do you want to be close to God? And part of the answer of whether or not we want to be close to God is, are we doing things to be close to God? That's the real answer. One more passage from Hebrews, a little bit later. It says, wrong spot, sorry. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, since we have confidence to get close to the presence of God by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The Bible says, you're invited, you're encouraged to get close to God. Do you want to be close to God? What are you doing to be close to God? So here's my next question. What does structure have to do with getting close to God? How is structure part of getting close to God? There's a way in which I think there's a sincere answer in many of us like, yeah, I'd like to be close to God, and I'm going to try to be close to God. But there's no, but there's minimal amount of intentionality. And I think there was a time and place years ago where it got rigid, it got overly religious, it got legalistic. It got, you know, all the, you had to be it and you were just doing it because you were supposed to kind of thing. But I think we're in the other ditch, mostly. where We don't have built-in structure that helps us reinforce getting close to God. 
Now Moses, if you look at um, chapter 33, it's not just on the, on the mountain. Exodus 33, verse 7 says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord could go up to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So he set something up, intentional, away from the camp, away from the activity, a place to focus on God. And while he was there, this is after the, the Israelites had made their, their uh, idols and had repented and they, they felt bad, they would worship. They would worship and praise as Moses would go into the meeting. In verse, or verse 11 it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. In my 20s, I just, that's my number one verse in life in my 20s. I just want to stay in his presence. I just want to stay there. I just want to stay there as long as I can. So, what Moses does, though, is he just talks. Getting close to God is a lot about just having some space. Did he do it every day? I don't know. Once a week? I don't know. But he had some time where it was, there was a place he went to where he focused on God, talking to him, listening to him. That place matters. So Moses, if, you, if you're someone who's tried to read through the Bible from the beginning, Genesis is actually pretty fascinating. The stories? Wow. Exodus pretty good stories. They still are making movies based on Exodus. You get up, I mean, I just did a little illustration of the stimming. It's like, wow, this is, you know, thunder. This is something. And then the Ten Commandments, and then there's like 42 commands, and you're just, they're just starting to lose you, and then all of a sudden something else happens, and then, and then it goes into five chapters on the instructions for the tabernacle. And you start questioning your life choices. Five chapters about the dimensions and the materials and the furniture and what the priests are going to wear for five chapters. Then there's the whole golden calf thing. Okay, well, it's an interesting story again. There's Moses talking to God. Very interesting. Moses' face is bright. And then five more chapters on them gathering the, the materials and building the tabernacle. Same, basically the same thing. Now, God knew we need some structure. Place matters. Right before, so right in between this, Moses is just about to say, all right, let's go. Let's go. We're going to do the building project. That's what happens for the next chapters. Here's what he says first, uh, Exodus 35. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. And then that's it. There's like one more verse about not lighting fires on the Sabbath. That's it. Now that's, that's something to me. They're about to do a building project for God, for the tabernacle. And he says, hey, before we get started, I just want you to know, you should still keep one day a week separate, not working, even if it's for God, not working. It is for the Lord. It is to worship the Lord. It is to pay attention to the Lord one seventh of the time. It's one of the Ten Commandments. 
Even though a lot of the Old Testament, we say, well, that's unique to the Jews in their time. The Ten Commandments, we say, well, we still shouldn't murder people. We still shouldn't steal stuff. We still shouldn't, he should still be our only God. But the Sabbath, who cares? Nobody's really going to keep the Sabbath. Minimally, I think, we need a day, a week, where we say, for at least part of the day, we're going to focus on God with other people. It doesn't have to look like this. What you'll see is not only did place matter, but time mattered. What do we do every day? What do we do once a week? What do we do a few times a year so that we keep focused on God so that we can stay close to God? Because if it's le when left to our own devices, I think we move towards idolatry. Best intentions. I think we move towards idolatry. Last passage I'm going to read is the rest of that Hebrews passage, the next two verses of the Hebrews passage. After saying, draw close to God, draw close to God with a sincere heart, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if I can have that slide about structure, yes, drawing close to God, I think having a place where we do it helps. God's everywhere. You can talk to him anywhere. That is so true. But if we're just left to our own, I think without a place, without a set time, we just tend to have more distance. Without other people who are in it with us, we just tend to have more distance. We stay out. I'm convinced of that. I've watched it for 20 years in ministry. I've watched people who are really involved, who really had a sincere heart for God. All of a sudden, after a few years, they're not, they're not even following God anymore. And I don't think they had a choice one day to say, you know what, I'm not going to follow God anymore. I think I'm not going to follow God anymore. I think it was more like, yeah, I'm just going to take a break from being involved in church. And then ah, I just can't come these few Sundays. And then I just come once in a while. And then I, come, then I just come a little less. And then all of a sudden it's just, they're disconnected. They're distant. They aren't doing the things that help them get close to God. So there's this, in the most recent issue of Christianity Today, Russell Moore talks about this huge increase in the number of people who say, I'm a Christian, and they go to church one time or less a year. I'm a Christian, they go to church one time or less a year. Their beliefs, so then they have all kinds of questions about these people. Their beliefs really match the Republican Party. Okay, they are... And I'm not picking on the Republican Party because the Democratic Party's tried to like, get God out of the platform. But then it matches the Republican Party platform. But when you get at other beliefs, what do they think about things having to do with sexuality, especially premarital sex? What do they think about being kind to people? What do they think of, when you start going down this list, it doesn't look like this. And to me, that would explain how you can have a cross how you can have a sign for Jesus and wear a Trump hat and have an assault rifle and go storm the Capitol. Do we want to be close to God? One time or less a year, but I'm a Christian? I don't know. I mean, some people can figure out ways. There's new ways to be connected. But mostly, I just think it's not happening. And maybe you've been hurt in church. If you go to a church on a regular basis, at some point you will be hurt by church. Now, we should not 
condone any forms of abuse. But we're people. We hurt each other. Leaders make decisions that hurt. You guys show up and somebody who's really hurt you is sitting across the way. And so, yes, we can learn how to forgive in church. I don't think the answer is stay away from church. Here's what I think the answer is. Three things to think about. First, worship on Sundays. Like not just when you squeeze it in or you feel like it. It's a place to get close to God. Second, go to the ministry fair. Get involved in the simplest of things. It is a structure that keeps you connected to the people of God. Steve Hierman was here a few weeks ago and he talked about early on when he first uh, became connected to Christ. He's leading a church much bigger than this in Newton. But he started in a sound booth. For years, he was in the sound booth. Next, think about the prayer builders. I'm telling you, it, it, might, it might not be for everybody, but what I hear over and over and over again, over years, I'm talking about years, I've heard people say, like, this is so good for me. I need this so much. And then they don't come. And I don't think it's happening out there. Maybe a little bit. I mean, he is worth coming for a half hour a week or so, regardless. But the reality is, we come for him, we get blessed. So think about at least giving this night a shot, if you can make it. Just consider that. I better stop. I'll have the worship team come up. I'll stop with this. The question of the day is, do you want to be close to God? Do you want to be close to God? And if so, what are you doing to be close to God? So we're going to worship for a couple songs here. And it's a chance to get close to God. You could come up front. I joked last couple weeks, like, this must be the reserved section. Thankfully, Marty and Gene are here this week. You know, this must be like the reserved section. If you want to today at some point in worship symbolically say, I want to be close to God, you may want to come up, whether it's to these rows or just, just move closer, just as a sign that says, I want to be close to God. There might be a few of you who are surprised, like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to. Do it. Now, that may not be true. I'm not trying to manipulate or anything. I'm just saying, like, I don't know why, but sometimes when our bodies say, like, this is a decision I'm, I make, it helps reinforce it. Let's pray. Let's pray. than anything, I want to be close to you, God. And I probably don't really even believe that you want to be close to me. Deep down, I don't even think I believe it. But that's what you say, and that's what you've shown. And not just for me. 
So for everyone else out here, anyone else out here or who's watching, who wants to be close to you, we're, we're trying our best right now, just in these moments, to draw near to you. Would you uphold your promise and draw near to us? Would you let us sense more of your presence in these moments? Because we want to be close to you. Amen.